<clears throat> Do you know when it comes to uh, thinking about the Reformation, uh, the best place to start is, of course, talking about one of the main uh, fellas who kicked off the Reformation, uh, who Martin Luther. Uh, Martin Luther, he was a German monk uh, who got into some uh, very serious hot water in, well, on October 31 in 1517. Uh, Martin Luther, he issued a formal challenge to the Catholic Church uh, by nailing what's called a 95 thesis to the door of the Wittenberg Church. And that 95 thesis, what it was, it was 95 theological statements, many of which were pointing out where the church had gone off track. <clears throat> and that sparked a massive controversy uh, between Luther and the church. Uh, there were many debates in the years that followed, a lot of uh, heated uh, correspondence between the two. And eventually Luther was summoned by uh, Emperor Charles V himself to appear before a tribunal in the city of Worms uh, in Germany in 1521. And it was a very intimidating tribunal because Luther had to stand up in front of the king and in front of the princes and the aristocrats and uh, many church leaders. And uh, before the court, all of Luther's works were laid out on a table. And a counsellor interrogated Luther about these works. And he, throughout the interrogation, a simple question was put to Luther. The question was, do you recant? Do you recant? And right there was a pivotal moment in the, the history of the church because if Luther caved into all of that intimidation, then history would look a, a lot different to what it actually does look. Well, Luther, he responded to the allegations and uh, he concluded his response with words to the effect of, unless I am convinced by the testimony of the scriptures, I cannot and I will not recant anything. Here I stand, I can do no other, so help me God. And Luther's response there, it actually captures one of the key slogans of the Reformation, which is this slogan, Scripture alone. Scripture alone, because what Scripture alone is, the, the idea behind it is that the Scripture alone <clears throat> is our highest and only infallible authority. Okay, Scripture alone means it's not the opinions of people that matter. It's not the opinions of church councils or of <clears throat> any individual that matters. What matters most of all is Scripture and scripture alone. And so the Reformation and, uh, well, the Luther helped spark, it was all about getting back to the Bible, back to recognizing scripture as our highest authority. Okay, that there's no higher authority when it comes to what to believe and, and how to live. And uh, there is a, sen a sense, though, in which every Christian in every generation is actually in danger of losing what the Reformation recovered. See, the Reformation recovered standing on the Bible. But there's a danger in which every Christian in every generation is in danger of losing that. And especially in ours today, because we live in a society where there is a, a lot of pressure to 
to neglect certain parts of the Bible. You know, our society is actually calling on Christians to recant from certain teachings of the Bible. And so we need to actually be clear today on what we think the Bible is. We need to be very clear on where we stand. And so to do that, we're going to look at one of the most famous passages in the Bible, which is about the Bible, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 to 17. Because here the Apostle Paul, he outlines for us the nature, the purpose, and the focus of Scripture. Okay, the nature of Scripture, the purpose of Scripture, and the focus of Scripture. So let's look at those three things. Let's look at, first of all, at the nature of Scripture. So that's actually in the middle of the passage, verse 16, uh, where Paul says, uh, all Scripture is breathed out by God. All Scripture is breathed out by God. Now think about what that's saying. Now think of it like this. When you talk, what is your breath doing as you speak, as you say a word, what is your breath doing? It's going out. Okay? And that's the, the, the image behind this statement, that all Scripture is breathed out by God. It's getting across the idea that, that when you read Scripture, what are you reading? You're actually hearing God speaking. Okay? This is getting across the idea that, that Scripture comes from God. Okay? It's God speaking. Uh, he is the, the ultimate author of Scripture. Uh, that, and that's really the most basic thing to know about the Bible. It's God's Word. That's why we always say, you know, this is the Word of God. This is the Word of God. Have you ever just stopped and thought about that for a moment? The Word of God Himself. Now, of course, if we do dig a bit deeper, we also see that God involved uh, human authors in putting the Bible together. So if we have a look at um, 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, verses 20 to 21. Uh, here, Peter tells us that no prophecy of Scripture comes from um, someone's own interpretation. Uh, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So here we see how, how did Scripture come about? You know, how did, how did people write the Bible and yet it's the word of God. Well, this Peter is telling us. He says that they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And the picture there is, think of a boat gliding across the ocean, a sailboat. Now, the only reason a sailboat can move anywhere is if the wind carries it along. And that's the image that Peter is saying. That's how the people who wrote the Bible, that's how they did it. They were actually carried along by the Holy Spirit. They had nothing to say or write apart from what the Holy Spirit carried them along to do. And of course, they, you know, they wrote in their own style, they addressed the issues of the day, and yet in that, everything they wrote was exactly as God wanted them. You know, they were carried along by the Holy Spirit so that as a result, all of Scripture is breathed out by God. And so when you read the scriptures, whether that's the writings of Moses or David or Isaiah or the Apostle Paul, you are reading God's word. Okay? You're hearing God speak to you. 
And if that's the case, that actually means that the scripture has a unique authority. A very unique authority. Uh, this is the only place where you can go to find out God's opinion on matters. And uh, God's opinion, of course, has far more weight than anyone else's opinion. And the reason that is, is because unlike God, people are fallible. Okay? People can make mistakes. Uh, people change their opinions when new information comes along um, because people don't know all things. Uh, people only see reality from a single finite perspective. And on top of all of that is the fact that we're fallen. You know, we, we have a sinful nature, which means there's actually a resistance to the truth. Uh, within every one of us, there is actually a, a, a spiritual ignorance toward the truth about God and a resistance, therefore, to the truth about God. And so, you know, you can see that when you think about people and the opinions of men and women and boys and girls, there's always limitations. But see, God doesn't share any of those limitations at all. Uh, when God speaks, everything he says is true Everything he says is right. <clears throat> in fact, God is actually incapable of speaking wrong. He's incapable of making a mistake. Uh, you know, the Bible says it is impossible for God to lie because his very nature is truth. <clears throat> and uh, that means that since the Bible is his word, then that means the Bible must be, and he, here's a key word, the Bible must be infallible. Okay, that means you can trust every aspect of it. Uh, here's another key word. The Bible must be inerrant. That is, without mistakes, without errors. Because God doesn't um, make mistakes. And so you can see that the Bible is unique. Unique to all other writings because it alone is the Word of God. And because the Bible alone is the Word of God, then... Uh, that affects our attitude toward it, that we are to accept everything that it says. We're to believe everything that it says and submit to everything it says. Uh, we, we need to receive it the way the Thessalonians received it from the Apostle Paul. So have a look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, uh, where Paul says that uh, at the end they accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. Now, only that can be said about the Bible. See, Scripture alone, that's the key idea there. Scripture alone is God speaking. Now, this is the conviction that actually drove the Reformers. You know, men like Martin Luther, John Calvin, and many others uh, to, to push for the Reformation because they argued that since the Bible is God's Word, then it alone is the highest authority in the life of the Christian. It alone is the highest authority in the life of the church. And the reason it was such a big deal for them was because over the centuries leading up to their own, that the Catholic Church had, uh, had elevated church tradition to the same level of Scripture. Now, they had this idea that somehow God was speaking through church tradition so that you know, they elevated it to the same level as Scripture uh, in particular, they thought that the declaration of popes and the declarations of church councils, that somehow God was still speaking through those things. 
But the problem with that, as Luther so effectively argued, was that popes can make mistakes. Church councils can get it wrong, which they did, as Luther was able to point out, uh, things like the role of Mary in salvation, um, the doctrine of purgatory, uh, the teaching that our works somehow form the basis of getting right with God. See, those things were in direct contradiction with the scriptures. And so what Luther was able to show was by elevating church tradition to the same level of scripture, do you know what ends up happening in practice? It ends up trumping scripture. It ends up contradicting, which means that it, it actually is elevated to a higher authority. Now, it's not that Luther and the other reformers were against church councils and the usefulness of things like creeds and confessions of faith. Uh, we know that the reformers made good use of the creeds, like you know, the, the Nicene Creed, uh, the, the, the Chalcedonian Creed. They, they found these things very helpful. But it's because of the nature of Scripture that it alone is the Word of God, that they needed to make this necessary distinction that the Bible is the highest authority. It's the only infallible guide for the church and for Christians. And so for Luther and the Reformers, it wasn't just about getting rid of um, wrong ideas out of the church. It was actually about dealing with this deeper problem of elevating human opinions above the Bible. And so really what, what the Reformation was about doing was about protecting people from corruption. Now, the corruption of elevating human opinions above the Bible. In fact, in some ways, you can sort of see that, the, that Luther, what he was doing was pretty much what Jesus was doing whenever he confronted the Pharisees. Remember how the Pharisees had all these traditions and Jesus was able to show them that they'd actually made some of those traditions trump the scripture. You know, he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. And so the reformers, they actually understood that what had happened in the church at the time, by elevating human opinions above the Bible, that's actually a tendency in every human heart. Every human heart has this tendency to want to put human opinion above God's opinion or above God's word. Uh, you know, the very nature of sin is that we actually don't like to submit to God's word. We, we actually would prefer to listen to our own opinion rather than God. I mean, that's what you see at the very beginning, isn't it? In the Garden of Eden, where God spoke his word to Adam and Eve, and they listened to that, and then they looked at the tree and they thought to themselves, we know better than God. And so they went against God. And so what were they doing? They were elevating their own opinion above God's. And so that's, that's a nature that we've inherited, which means we're always in danger of doing exactly what the church did before the Reformation, of elevating human opinion above the Bible. And, uh, you know, the, the, the opinions that we elevate, it could be... Um, say, a popular teacher who may not actually not be teaching the Bible faithfully. We can elevate that. Uh, it might be the opinions of our secular culture, allowing those to trump the Bible. 
Or it might be just our own thoughts where we can um, have certain parts of the Bible where we don't like and we might dismiss them thinking that we know better. But do you see, that's to fail to recognise the nature of Scripture. What is this? This is God's Word. Okay, we can't just dismiss the parts that we don't like. Uh, all Scripture is God-breathed. Notice that word, all. All Scripture is God-breathed. Every single part of it, even those bits that our culture might not like today. And so in some ways, all of us really face exactly the same issue that Luther faced. That is, what are you standing on? What is your highest authority in your life? Uh, because increasingly, you, you are going to have people say to you that you need to change your views. You're going to increasingly have people say to you, um, you know, why are you holding on to those things that are offensive today? Why, are you, why can't you change your views? Why can't you get with the times? Uh, maybe some of you have already had someone say that to you. But you know what it really is saying? Why can't you recant? And so what do you say? We could actually say what Luther said. My conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and will not recant anything. Here I stand. I can do no other. Why? Because this is the word of God. This is where we stand. So that's the nature of scripture. It alone is the word of God. But second, we see in our passage something else that's very helpful to think through today, and that is we learn here the purpose of, of Scripture. Okay, what, what does Scripture do for us? What is its purpose in our lives? And so let's read on. So verse 16 says, All Scripture is breathed out by God. And then hear this, And profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So here we see verse 16 tells us what Scripture does, and verse 17 tells us what the result will be. So what does Scripture do? Four things. It teaches. Okay, it imparts understanding or the knowledge about God, about ourselves, about the world, about salvation, about the way to live. See, Scripture teaches all of those things. Uh, secondly, it, it reproves. Reprove means to show you when you're wrong. And uh, that's something that we often don't like um, having done to us. Um, but that is one of the roles of Scripture, is to actually show us where we're wrong, to show us where we need to change, where we need to repent. Uh, not only that, but the third thing, Scripture corrects. It's for correction. And uh, that means to, to show us how to put things right again. And fourthly, it trains us in righteousness. So that's like you know, reshaping our thinking, reshaping our attitudes, reshaping our lives so that they are in accordance with God's um, righteousness. That's what it means to train in righteousness. And notice verse 17 says, the result of all of that is that you will be complete, equipped for every good work. I just want to think through that a little bit for a moment with you. Okay, how can you be equipped for the good works that God has saved you to do? How can you be equipped? Uh, let's think this through. So, first of all, think about all the responsibilities that you have as a, as a human being. 
Uh, think about your responsibilities as an individual, uh, as a member of society. Uh, think about your responsibilities maybe as a parent or as a husband or a wife or an employee or an employer. Think about your responsibilities as a friend to others, as a brother, a sister. Okay, all of these, these are positions that God has put you in. And God has put you in those positions so that you will represent him well in the world. Now the question is, how will you be equipped to do that? How will you be able to do all of those things, all those roles that God has called you to do, how can you do them in, in the way that he wants you to do them so that, so that it glorifies him, so that it pleases him? How are you going to do it? Look what he's given you. He's given you the scriptures to teach you, to reprove you, to correct you, to train you in righteousness. That's how you're going to do it. Well, let's think of another area. Let's think about the personal struggles that you may have. Uh, this side of glory, we're still going to have the presence of sin in our lives. We're still going to, you know, to struggle with indwelling sin. So how, how are you going to overcome that struggle with anger? How are you going to overcome uh, the, the struggle with the fear of man or you know, the struggle with being a people pleaser? Uh, how are you going to overcome perhaps an addiction to, to alcohol or to pornography? How will you overcome those things? Again, look what God has given you, his word. He will teach you, he will reprove you, he will correct you, he will train you in righteousness. Or think about the challenges that we're going to face in life, uh, the difficulties that we will go through. Um, you know, James 1 says that we will all go through trials of various kinds, which means we're all going to face times of loss and grief and sadness. Uh, we are all going to face um, persecution at some point. Do you know why I say that? Because in, in our passage, if, you just, if you've got a Bible open, just look a couple of verses earlier. Verse 12, Paul says, All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So how are you going to get the ability to cope with that? How are you going to get the ability to go through hardships in a way that actually deepens your love for Christ and, and deepens your perseverance in him? How will you get that? Again, it's the scriptures. You know, as you submit yourself to the scriptures and allow God through it to teach you, reprove you, correct you, train you in righteousness, that's how you get the ability to persevere through trials. So really, verses 16 and 17 are actually assuring us of the sufficiency of scripture, that everything you need to know Christ, everything you need to grow in him, it's all given to you in God's word. So we don't need to invent new ways of growing as Christians. We don't have to go off looking for some secret method that, that some guru has found out. We just have to get into the Word of God. Now we need to do that as individuals. We need to do that uh, together in our families. Uh, in study groups is always helpful. And of course in a church setting like this, we've got to get into the Word of God because this is how God trains us in righteousness. This is how God equips us for all of the good works that he's called us to do. The word of God. You'll be complete, equipped for every good work. And so that is the purpose of scripture. 
And again, this is one of the convictions that drove the reformers in all of the work that they did. Uh, I don't know if you realize, but back in the 16th century, it was uh, the average churchgoer virtually had no access, no personal access to a Bible. Um, they, they basically just, you know, they could only hear it from those in power within the church who were keeping certain parts back. And so Luther, you know, recognizing the, the purpose of Scripture, how important it is in the life of the Christian, he made it his number one goal to, to make sure that the Scriptures were accessible. And so, after, you know, that tribunal that he had where he was said, you know, will you recant? After that, his life was in danger, and so he was whisked, whisked away and put into hiding by some um, uh, political allies. And uh, the one of the first things that Luther did while in hiding was he, he took out his, his Greek and Hebrew Bible and he translated it into German, which was the language of the peoples. And uh, William Tyndale, another uh, reformer, who um, was eventually burned at the stake, by the way, but William Tyndale, another guy who wanted to get the scriptures into the hands of the people, and so he, he was busy translating the Bible into English at the same time. And he also was in Germany because he had to escape from England. Now, it just so happens that at this time, the printing press became mainstream in Germany. And so all these translations that they produced, they were able to get them uh, mass-produced, they became bestsellers, and, and, and that's really what gave the Reformation its legs. The population could actually see for themselves what the Scriptures taught, which meant they were no longer controlled by those in power, but they were able to hear the Bible for themselves. And so I don't know if you realize the privilege that we have today of having the Word of God in our own language. Okay, do you recognize the cost that it, that it was to some people in the past to make sure that today we can you know, open the Bible and hear God, God's Word uh, spoken? This is, this is such a great privilege. And perhaps being reminded today about the purpose of Scripture, the way that God uses His Word in your life to transform you, Perhaps you're encouraged to get into it more today, that maybe that, that daily reading plan that has um, been forgotten back in, I don't know, March or something, perhaps you want to take it up again. Okay, get into the Word. This is how God transforms us. Okay, so the nature of Scripture, it's God's Word alone, the purpose of Scripture reshapes our lives. Uh, but finally, we need to think about the focus of Scripture. And that's the question of what is the Bible actually about? What is it that God wants to communicate to us from his word? Okay, if we had to sum it up as, you know, what is the very heart of the Bible about? What would we say? Well, a good place to go is verses 14 and 15. As for you, continue in what you have learned uh, and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. Uh, that's the, the scriptures. Uh, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Do you see what the focus of Scripture is? It's to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Do you know every single part of the Bible is about that? All of Scripture is about Jesus. That's what Jesus himself said after he rose from the dead. He was walking on that road to Emmaus with 
couple of the disciples and he said to them, all of the scripture, it's about me. He was speaking about the Old Testament, of course, but the New Testament is, of course, it's all about Jesus. Every single part of it is to point us to Christ, to point us to the fact that salvation is in him alone, that you need to put your faith in him to be saved and you need to put your faith in him to grow as a Christian. So the point of scripture is that you would know Christ, that you would know salvation and that you would know fullness of life in him. That's what it's all about. That's the focus of the Bible. And and so if the Bible hasn't done that for you, then you actually haven't understood it. Okay, if you just think that the Bible is a collection of um, nice sayings, you know, it's got some good stories in there, hand, handy for Sunday school material. Uh, if you think it's maybe just a, a book of some helpful morals, you haven't understood it. That's not the point of the Bible. The point of the Bible is that you would know Christ. Okay, that you would know life in Christ. That's what the Bible is all about. And again, there's a lesson from Luther's life on this. Because Luther's conversion was all tied up with his own personal study of the Bible. Uh, He was reading the, um, the Greek text of the book of Romans and he came across this phrase that said, the righteous shall live by faith. And it really distressed him because he, he, he was thinking that it said you had to get righteous in order to be saved. And he tried so hard all of his life to be a good boy. He tried so hard to do all the things that, that, that God had, had laid out in the, in the law. And he tried so hard and no matter how hard he tried, he, he, just, he realized that there's just no way he could do it. But in his own personal study of the book of Romans, he came to realize that that phrase, the righteous shall live by faith, was not saying that we have to make ourselves righteous in order to be right with God, but rather that Jesus has fulfilled all of righteousness and he credits that righteousness to you when you put your faith in him. And when Luther realized that, you know, it's like the lights came on and he realized the freedom of the gospel, saved by faith alone, by grace alone, by Christ alone, See, it was, what, it was in the, the reading of Scripture that Luther came to realise, or he came to see the very heart of it, salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And so again, I ask you, has that happened to you? Have you come to faith in Christ? Have you found salvation in him? And the, the other thing about the Reformation that I think is helpful to think about under this point is that um, by, by this renewed emphasis on Scripture alone, it meant that church services returned to um, having preaching at, at the centre. Before that, it was like, you know, they had the mass. Uh, it was all very um, hidden and uh, confusing for the average churchgoer. But with the Reformation, this renewed emphasis on the Bible alone, preaching was put at the centre. And uh, with what happens when you have preaching at the centre? What happens when you have the Bible faithfully being taught? Do you know what happens? Christ crucified is preached every week. So every week people are having the gospel put before them. And do you know what happens when the Holy Spirit works through the gospel? People get converted. Lives get transformed. 
And, and as a result of the Reformation, this renewed emphasis on preaching the gospel, that's exactly what happened. Revivals broke out everywhere across Europe. And, and that's what actually what gave the Reformation its power. It wasn't just a movement of, of policies and politics. Uh, it was actually a recovery of the gospel, and therefore it was a spirit-empowered movement where lives were being transformed through the preaching of the gospel and so not only were lives transformed, but then countries were transformed. The world was changed as a result. Which means the lesson of the Reformation is, if you want to change the world, how do you do it? You teach the Bible. Okay? You preach the gospel. Right? You do that in churches. You do that in homes with your kids. Okay? You teach the Bible that's how you change the world. So the Reformation, there you go. It's the recovery of the Bible. Putting the Bible at the centre of the life of the church again. And in some ways it is like, you know, how Sharif read from Two Kings earlier, where um, King Josiah, they found the book of the law in the temple. That, that long lost book, you know, dust, got all the dust off, read it out, and all of a sudden they realised where they stood with God. And that's what happened, the Reformation, in, in some ways. Uh, the Reformation was not about inventing anything new at all. It was just about recovering the foundations, going back to where we belong, that the Bible is the Word of God. And therefore, that's where we stand. You know, the whole world can tell us to recant. Uh, recant. The whole world can tell us to recant but we can't because this is where we stand, the Word of God. Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you uh, so much for your grace toward us, Lord, that you haven't left us in the dark, that you haven't left us in our ignorance and in our unbelief and in our rebellion. But Father, we praise you for uh, the light of your truth that you have shone uh, into the world. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for uh, the light of the world, who is Jesus himself. And we praise you, Father, that through the writings of the apostles and prophets, that we can know Christ ourselves, that we can read your word and, and see Jesus and see him as, as the Lord and the Saviour. And Father, we thank you that your Holy Spirit is pleased to, to work through the teaching of your word and to work through the reading of your word so that we can know Jesus and grow in him. And Father, we pray today that each one of us, that we would uh, recognise the privilege of having your word, being able to study it every day. And so, Father, help us to make the most of that. And we pray that as a result of the teaching and the reproof and the correction and the training in righteousness that, that you do through your word, we pray that each one of us here would be transformed so that we are equipped to, to do the things that you've called us to do in a way that brings honour to you, in a way that furthers the work of the gospel, and in a way that brings you all the glory. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.